this morning, Acts chapter 19. Uh, fair warning, I, I'm just going to, I don't tend to, and Robert doesn't really either, give much of a what might be considered a classic introduction, a story, a joke, uh, an anecdote, an illustration. We just kind of jump in anyways. Uh, so it's not that different, but I'm going to hit you a little harder, a little sooner than normal, because uh, I think what gets drawn out of this passage is something that concerns me, and for the individual to whom this concern should be pointed, I might lose your attention if I don't start with it. So let me just go ahead and pose a difficult question, and then we're going to spend our time uh, just staying in that difficult spot. I don't think it'll be uncomfortable in general, uh, but it may be uncomfortable for you. And what I'm asking is that you don't hear that discomfort and tune out. Just bear through about 20 minutes, because this could literally be, eternally speaking, life or death. So let me ask you this question. Are you in relationship with Jesus, saving, repentant, faith-based, picking up your cross and following Jesus, or, like these guys at the beginning of the story, are you just in proximity? Are you just around the stuff of Jesus? That can include having your bottom in a seat in this church on Sunday morning. It's a real quiet in here, right? <clears throat> this, I'm, not, I'm not meant to, I don't have any individual in mind, okay, if that makes anyone feel better. But I do think that this passage, supported by other places in Scripture, speaks to, it is a, a kind of concerningly easy to spend your whole life just in proximity to Jesus and not in saving relationship with Jesus, shown by these guys with the best of intentions. They were called disciples. They just weren't disciples of Jesus yet. And Paul had to come through, discern that they had been uh, following probably John. They knew about Jesus, but they weren't engaged with Christ in, a, in a, what we would call salvific, meaning you're, you're saved through that relationship. And it could be, I'm praying, I've been praying already this week, that maybe, 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 just this morning for the first time, regardless of how long you've been coming and sitting in a church, that it will dawn on you that you've just been in the area you know things about Jesus, but you don't know him. And the hope right out of the gates is it's not too late, right? There's countless stories in scripture of people coming to faith late in life. There, it's not too late, but what will be too late is if you continue on a path of just being in the wings, of just living in proximity. And I'm not talking about uh, being a Christian and being lukewarm. That's almost a different problem. I'm talking about people who assume they are being saved because they have a relatively good attendance here at another church, or they assume that they're saved because their grandmama talked about God while they were in the house, and so they have vague ideas of who he is and what it means to follow Christ. But maybe your life looks nothing like the one Jesus described because the one Jesus described is radical, and if, you can, if you're taking right now, in this moment, taking an audit of your life, and there's nothing radical about it, especially compared to the world around you, you might ought to listen extra careful. These guys, with the best of intentions, were, were considered disciples, but they, were, they only knew of the baptism of John. They didn't even know of the Holy Spirit. He said, we didn't know there was one. We know through the rest of Scripture that a, a saving relationship with Jesus moves us from knowing about him to knowing him personally. It in, he indwells us and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and our lives should be, according to Scripture, according to Jesus himself, our lives should be marked. It should be obvious to ourselves and to the people around us that there is something different. 
Now, in the, in, in the case of, listen, in the case of sanctification, uh, and uh, that's a churchy word for becoming more like Jesus as your Christian life continues, you may, listen, you may be in a season where you're a genuine believer and you're just kind of stuck. And maybe it feels like you're just living in proximity to Jesus. In that case, let your church family help you rekindle that fire. But I know because we live in the Bible Belt that Christianity, even though it maybe um, is, is being pushed back some in our modern culture, we still live in the Bible Belt where Christianity is cultural, right? And in that way, it can often make it harder for, uh, for maybe a pastor or other believers to discern Am I or, or the people around me, are we really in relationship or are we just know about him? We know some of the things to say and we are sitting quite comfortably in these tan padded seats all the way to hell. And these guys, had they continued on just with the baptism of John and not knowing of the Holy Spirit, with all the, the best intentions in the world, were not headed towards redemption in Christ. And Paul came through and spoke clearly to them, says, you, you need to be baptized into repentance of, uh, through Jesus and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And then your relationship with Jesus begins. It's no longer, I know of him, it's that I know him. Is that you? So I want to come out of the gate so forcefully this morning. I think there's, there's probably some folks in the room who are currently in the same boat. And it's not, uh, I think so often we think of um, maybe uh, pre-Christian life and post-Christian life gets so uh, differentiated that it almost, the, the post-Christian or the pre-Christian life almost becomes cartoon, uh, cartoonish or characterized of, it's, I'm so obviously a sinner, while the reality is, again, especially in our geographic location in the world, there are a lot of what the world would call good people in the Bible belts. A lot of not good people, but there's plenty of good people. But the Bible says nothing about good people going to heaven. <clears throat> Bible talks about people who live in relationship and submission to Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. It means uh, the Savior peace, you, you have, you've repented and believed, and the Lord peace is that second half of the Great Commission, doing the things that he has commanded us to do. Does your life look any different? Even if you're sitting there going, I've been, a, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian all my life. Cool. Does it look different than your neighbors? Does it look different than your families? Does it look radical according to what Christ has laid out in Scripture? I was baptized when I was eight. I would consider myself a Christian. I'm only 33, and I've been baptized for 25 years. At a relatively young age, it's wild that I've been anything for 25 years. And for 25 years, it would be quite easy for me to assume, man, I've just, I've been around. I haven't left, right? I, I haven't checked out. I haven't explored other religions. I'm still here. I work at a church. Last, just this past week, even as I was prepping for this, just unrelated, I, uh, I, I met a pastor, and we were making pastor small talk, and he said, I've been a pastor for 37 years. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. It's all I've ever known, and I've been a Christian for 20. That struck me. One, the honesty um, and the vulnerability to say I, it, this guy's in his late 50s. I, 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 I've, I've generational pastors in my family. I am one. I worked for 17 years in the pulpit before I came to really know Jesus. And I think we all probably run that risk, whether you're a new believer or whether you've been sitting in a seat for a long season. Knowing about Jesus does not save you. In the book of James he writes that the demons know about Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. Did you know that? 
The demons believe in him, and they what? They tremble. It is not the same thing as a saving relationship. These guys here, read again, Apollos is in Corinth. Paul goes to Ephesus, and here he found some disciples. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they go, we didn't even know there was one. Sometimes, candidly, in conversation, I I, I talk to people who um, know all the church words and don't know Jesus, and I can tell. And maybe sometimes, um, again, we, uh, even for the believer, maybe you've had seasons where you're feeling uh, maybe uh, unenergized or, or the, the enemy and the deceiver and the, and the father of lies has really beaten you down and you've been pushed out to the peripheral. In all of those, lean into your church family. But in particular here, uh, I, I'm just encouraging you to audit your relationship with Jesus. And what you might find is that there isn't one. And again, in the hope, it's not too late. He goes to Ephesus, he records there that he comes upon some disciples. Interesting, the Bible, uh, he calls them disciples, but not in the way that we talk about them. We talk about, we use that word like with a capital D, like synonymous for Christians. Here it's just people who were following someone. Jesus had disciples, John had disciples, the Pharisees had disciples. It was just people who were trying to learn from others. So be careful even of just considering yourself a disciple. A disciple of who? Is a disciple of your grandma? Or a disciple of Jesus? Is it a disciple of your parents who grew up in church or is it a disciple of Jesus? Is it a disciple of your neighbor who you're good friends with who, man, it, his church is a good time. I'm going to go there and the community is nice and it's, a, it's beneficial to my kids. And it, is that your Jesus or is Jesus your Jesus? These guys had, uh, they were in proximity. They were so close. They were so close, but it took someone boldly speaking in their life and asking the right questions. Now, it, some... Uh, Excuse me, some commentators suggest that uh, Paul knew that they weren't true disciples by, as a kind of a benefit of his apostleship uh, because he had an extra level of authority. Maybe God made it apparent to him, and maybe that's the case. But, but throughout Scripture, Jesus, Paul, others make clear that, a, that an individual who is submitted to Christ, who is picking up their cross daily and following him, there will be signs, there will be fruit. And in that way, a a, a humble, faithful believer ought to be able to discern that in another person. Be careful how you go about challenging someone with that. But at the same time, if you're concerned that someone has, has convinced themselves that they know Jesus, but they just know about him, I think in some small way, I'd rather risk making them a little frustrated than letting them go on with that misunderstanding of what it means to follow Christ. Get them out of proximity and show them what it means to surrender their life. Paul was willing to speak up. Paul was uh, notoriously bold. Right? All through Scripture, he, had, he was pulling no punches. He didn't stutter. He didn't beat around the bush. These are all things I struggle with. I, I sometimes am, am so concerned with, ah, am I going to upset this person? And all the while, here Paul says, uh, he finds these guys who, who um, <clears throat> seem to be convinced of themselves that they were doing the right thing, and he boldly spoke up and said, you, you know of him, but you don't know him in relationship. There was a lack of spiritual fruit, apparently, and Paul recognizes it, and he points them to what it really means to be Christ. Does your, look, does your life look like what Jesus describes as the Christian way? Or does your life look like what the world describes? I think too often we attach moralism to this, right? Well, I don't murder. I've never murdered anyone. 
right? I, I don't drink or I only drink socially. Uh, I only curse when I stub my toe. I come to church most, most Sundays, right? I'm here. I'm around. I, I, maybe I even volunteer. I try to do one nice thing a week, right? And in all that, we've missed it. The life Jesus puts forth for his followers is way more radical than all of that. If anything, that's baseline, I'm a believer now starter kit, right? The, the radicalness of what Christ called us to goes beyond just being what the world would call good into what Christ has called righteousness. You're doing one nice thing for somebody? Okay. How about loving your wife like Jesus loved the church, meaning he laid down his life for her? It doesn't mean a whole lot to do a nice thing for a stranger and not live and love like that with your spouse. You don't murder anyone? Great, right? Neither do most people. Do, do you harbor anger and resentment towards people in your life? Because Jesus called that quite a similar thing. You read through just three chapters of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and, and consider how many of those, just three chapters of four Gospels of Jesus' teaching, three chapters has enough in there about a radical life that most of us will go, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm pushing the envelope that hard. You come to church most Sundays, all right, what about when ball season starts? Or when the weather's nice? Or when, uh, right, archery opens and the rut's just, you know, really, really going? <laughs> Listen, it's not about legalism of be here every time or else. I think there's genuinely saved people who are still learning to live that radical life, myself included. It is so easy for me to slip into, I'm doing good according to the world, right? But I need to be asking, am I, am I, is my life marked by the things of Christ? Is it marked by the Holy Spirit, like Paul pointed out to these individuals? But there are also people who think they're saved because they know about Jesus, and they're not, but because they're in proximity to Jesus through his church or, or through his moral code, they assume uh, that that's the same thing, and that's a dangerous assumption. I'm suggesting here that you should audit your relationship with Christ. Does it even exist? <laughs> and if it does, is it just casual? Is it vague? Or, or, or is it just doing things that sound like Jesus stuff? Or is it the things that Christ has called you to? For the, for the true believer who maybe is just in a tough season, this, these are metrics to bring yourself back into a passionate place of relationship with Christ. And for those who, um, who maybe don't actually know Jesus, who, but who think they do because of their to-do list, I'm trying to rattle your box here. Be honest with yourself. It's not about, um, it's not about winning or losing or any of this. Stuff. It is about eternity. Why would we be too proud? Or why would we be, well, what could be so uncomfortable about testing this in our own spirit uh, that, would, that would allow us to risk eternity by not challenging ourselves? And if you're not, listen, I'm, not, I'm also not trying to break down anyone's assurance of salvation. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I'm saying, if, if you are convinced that you have a relationship with Christ, that's fantastic. But uh, I'm trying to wake up maybe those who have never really audited themselves, who have never really taken a hard look at what it means to be a believer, and maybe even asked believers around them, hey, what do you think of my life according to what Jesus has set out before you? Paul himself gives us a summary of the things that save. It is repentance and belief. It is a turning away from what was, even if, even if what was is something the world considers okay or reasonable or decent, 
and repenting from those sins and, and, and the normalcy and the good life and turning towards the radical one that Jesus has laid out. Does that define your life? I'm asking you to consider if you have really ever even started that journey through genuine repentance and living radically for Jesus. When those guys heard these things from Paul, they believed. They came to Christ, as we sometimes say, and in response and in celebration, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They had already been baptized, right? So the text doesn't talk about them being rebaptized. Sometimes we want to talk about being rebaptized, but they were just baptized because for the first time, even though they, they thought that they knew what was going on, for the first time, the Holy Spirit indwelled them as a mark of true reception of Christ and salvation and forgiveness. And so they were baptized. What were the circumstances of your baptism? <laughs> were you baptized in response to repentance or belief? Or were you baptized because that's what you do when you grow up in the Bible Belt? Or when you grow up in a Christian home? Or when you grow up in a home that at least hovers in the proximity of Christianity? Listen, the, the God of the universe, the infinite, eternal, holy God of the universe who created us for communion with him and we disobeyed and we, and we broke that relationship. We did. And, and God, who had every right to just leave us be and let us destroy ourselves, sent Christ instead to bring us back to him because of his love for us. And that picture, the overwhelming love of the Father, does not seem to jive with just being Jesus adjacent. If the God of the universe, right, the, the, the only individual in the entirety of the universe from eternity past to eternity future loves us enough to know us by name, to knit us together in the womb, and to not leave us in our disobedience, but at great cost to himself to come and through his son pay our debt to him, will not stand for Jesus adjacent. You understand what I'm saying? That's why in, in Revelation, he rages against the lukewarmness of those believers. And even further, for those that, that only kind of seem to know about Christ, it's just not what Jesus has asked. We're not asking, it's not a works-based faith that I'm proposing here. It is a repentance and belief. It is a radical life change that should mark you. And if you can't think, if you've been sitting in a church for 70 years and you can't think of a single way in which Jesus has radically changed your life, you may not know him, but it's not too late. Here, Paul didn't beat him up. Paul didn't say, you ding-dongs. I was going to go a little heavier, but there's kids in here. <laughs> Paul, a little, trying to lighten it up just to hear. <clears throat> Paul didn't say, Paul didn't write them off. Paul didn't uh, belittle them or condescend to them. He said, let me teach you. Let me show you. You're so close. Let me show you. And, and let me bring you into the life that actually means something in relationship with Jesus instead of just standing around and glancing at him on occasion so that you have some, the right words to use. And these guys didn't seem to know they hadn't quite gotten there yet. <clears throat> so again, I'm trying to suggest this morning that you should take a hard look. People sometimes ask me, um, I got it this week, actually that guy that said, he don't, you know, pastor 37, 20, uh, uh, believer for 20, he asked me, um, is it, what, was evangelism harder in Hawaii, just because it's not culturally Christian, and um, 
No, uh, the, I found uh, evangelism easier there because, again, culturally, they have no obligation to kind of cultural Christianity. If they're not a Christian, they don't feel the need to be in proximity to Jesus. There is no obligation there. So in some ways, maybe it's tough because they're, um, they're less prone to just wander into a church, but the conversations are so much clearer, and the lines are drawn so much uh, more sharply. And what I found is now coming home to the mainland, so to speak, evangelism here is so much harder because of how many people live in proximity to Jesus. How many times have you been uh, uh, evangelizing to someone or sharing your faith, or maybe you're, maybe you're trying to have some Bible study discussion, and someone who pretty obviously maybe doesn't uh, in a relationship with Jesus because, yeah, 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 oh, I go to First Baptist up here. I'm not pointing to a specific one. I'm just That's a common church name, right? Or, I, oh, I've been at uh, First United Methodist for 30 years. I'm good, right? Or, yeah, my grandma taught me all this stuff. It is so much harder to convince someone in proximity to Jesus that they need Jesus, but we've got to be doing it. Paul was about it. Jesus said there will be plenty who get to the gates and go, but I prophesied in your name, and Jesus said what? I do not know you. One more time, I'm worried that maybe I'm going to send a whole room of people out um, nervous about whether or not they're saved. That's not the intent here. The intent is to take this stuff on occasion, maybe not every Sunday, but this one for sure. Take an audit, take a, look, take a hard look at your life and determine, am I just hovering around it or am I involved with the Son of God and the Savior of the, of the universe? And do I have a relationship? Am I submitted? Does my life look different? Oh, I got to go. Because of that, having experienced um, something like this, it should change us. Maybe you, were, maybe you were baptized into John's baptism, right? And that doesn't mean the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of John. But John was just the harbinger. John was the one who told other people that Jesus was coming. John preached Christ. And these guys went, well, I got baptized into his name. And, and maybe you didn't get baptized in the name of John, but you might have gotten baptized in the name of your mama or your daddy or your grandma or whoever it was, right, that was speaking Jesus around you and to you, but you had never actually received him. But again, the cultural expectation was either because your friends did or because you felt some pressure or because you saw some social benefit, you got in that thing or one in another church and you were dunked and you came out and you have the certificate and you wear that almost as your badge of I'm good to go. Let me tell you a not secret. That is not what saves you. Even in here, John says, or Paul said, you need to be baptized into Jesus, but he's not suggesting that baptism is what saves you. He says, you have not, you have not repented and submitted to Christ. And through that baptism is a baptism of repentance, a turning away from what was and towards what is. I've been praying all week that you would not it's not about hearing Dylan preach, but I, I've been praying all week that you would hear this challenge well, right? That you would at least allow it in. Consider it, wrestle with it. And then ask yourself, does my life look different? Or maybe do I just know about Jesus and I need to do something about that? The last bit of this, um, band, you can go ahead and come back up and it'll encourage me to wrap it up even tighter. Uh, the, the last bit of this, it says that Paul put his hands on them, he baptized them, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were speaking in tongues and prophesying wild, amazing things. Now, when I got baptized, which I, in my experience, I think was genuine and, and I am a believer, I did not come out of the pool doing that. Did you? No, 
Maybe some folks, okay, I'm not saying it never happens anymore, but largely, especially in our faith tradition, we believe those kinds of gifts and signs have subsided, but what seems to be clear is the expectation that our life will bear fruit, okay? So if your baptism and and your receiving of Christ through faith is genuine, you probably didn't come out of the water speaking in tongues, but you should have come out of the water with your life changed and set yourself on this trajectory of becoming day by day, year by year, over a lifetime, more like Jesus. So ask yourself whether it was three months ago or 30 years ago, from the moment that I claim to have received Jesus, am I any more radical in following him than I was then? And if the answer is no, it could be one of two things. It could be that you've just never been discipled towards it and you, you are a believer, but you've never been discipled towards it. Um, but I think at some level, to be candid, I think what's more likely is you misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus in the first place and you probably need to wrestle with that. But it's not too late. Nobody's winning or losing about having been a believer the longest. The, the, the parable of the, the workers in the field, right? The guy that showed up for the last 30 minutes got the same pay as the guy that was there all week. And Jesus said, that's how it works in heaven. It is not too late. The only thing I think maybe holding you back, if this is you, if this, if this morning the Holy Spirit is convicting you, one, take that as a, as a clear directive to, to pursue whatever he's guiding you to. But if you have found this morning or you do this week that maybe I've just been around Jesus and not in relationship with him, he's inviting you. We would love to help you have that conversation. And I would encourage you that there, to come get baptized as a celebration of those things. Not today. Here's the deal. I did not fill that up on purpose because I kind of rage against trying to whip someone up and then just fill that pool up. And I want to have a conversation with you anyways because this is a touchy subject. But reach out to me this week. Call Robert. Call who, someone in the, just a believer you know and ask for a conversation. Hey, will you talk to me? Will you probe uh, and ask questions about how I'm living my life and help me determine maybe, maybe I've missed it? These guys were willing to hear it from Paul. Are we willing to hear it from each other? So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm just asking you to consider it. Now, if you want to come consider that down here, that's fine. These wooden altars are not magical. Um, But if if this is what helps you focus to pray, that's fine. If you want to do it in your seat, if you just want to sing along, that's great. But what I'm asking you to do is to consider, am I in proximity or am I in relationship? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the hope that, that you said if we repent and we believe and, and, and we set out to follow you, uh, that you are faithful to exchange our sins and our filthy rags for your clean white robe of righteousness. Thank you for that. And Father, if there are those in the room who, um, who've never actually experienced that, they just were walking alongside it, assuming that that meant they were involved. Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit that maybe for the first time you would convict those people that just like these individuals that Paul challenged and who received with joy for the first time the Lord of the universe and the Savior of all of us. And may that be our story. And Father, for the rest of this time in worship, we pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.